0: of run out of animal noises that i can make which for those of you peasants out there listening who don't speak animal that means hey all you cool cats and kittens welcome to bad Movie sunday my name's ashley my name is amy and we are a podcast that watches bad movies so you don't have to we roast them we toast them And we have a lot of fun in English and, I guess sometimes, in animal. Which I guess is just kind of one general blanket language.
1: Oh yeah, if you know one animal language, you know them all. (laughs) I love those sounds that you made. Although, I don't know which animals they were. I know the bird. bird, Um, There was one that went a little bit like... (laughs) and i have no idea what that
0: could have been okay here's what was happening in my mind right we start off with the monkey right something like that then i was kind of leaning towards (laughs) like some sort of jungle cat like a like a lion with like a well i probably should have just gone with like 2011 tumblr uh uh, style talk and just said roar or something but instead i decided to try to make a lion noise which i'm no dr doolittle
1: so for me that came out something like (laughs) (laughs) okay this is where i went wrong at first listening to your to your animal noises i thought your monkey that i thought that was the bird's Well, okay. It it was like a bird sound. Well, (laughs) I feel like we do a a decent
0: amount of impressions on this uh, podcast. Maybe we need to work on animal impressions,
1: because I thought that was the most obvious one. You know what? We're we're no Dr. Doolittle. In fact, the Doolittle that we're covering today, the 2020 Doolittle, is hardly Doolittle himself. So, can't blame you for trying.
0: Well, thanks. That's all a girl can do, uh, I guess, at this point, is dry and, you know, maybe by the end of this podcast, we'll all have improved and maybe uh, I can make a uh, believable monkey noise by the end. Maybe that's my character arc this episode.
1: <laughs> well, somebody needs a character arc, because a lot of the characters in this movie didn't get one. Nope. <laughs> this
0: movie... Okay, I want to talk firstly about... Something that I did not know about until the credits, because I feel like a lot of people going into this, you kind of went into it with two minds. If you actually watched this movie, either you saw Robert Downey Jr. And the plethora of A-list celebrities that apparently are voicing various animals in this movie. And you were like, oh, my God, top tier cast. I have to watch them. Or you're a Doolittle fan, and you watch this because you like the original Eddie Murphy Doolittle movies, I was kind of neither. (laughs) I saw Robert... Well, Amy and I both saw Robert Downey Jr., and we're like, "Mm, that's it, we're on, on the board, we're on the ship already, Noah's Ark has set sail with Robert Downey Jr. and all his animals, and I only found out at the credits... I mean, Amy, I know you have a cast list prepared of all the people in this movie, but... Oh my god.
1: Yeah, oh we gotta go over this for a second, right? Cause of course we got we got RDJ as Dr. John Doolittle himself. But we also got and I didn't know this until also halfway through the movie, um Antonio Banderas as King Rasuli, Amazing, incredible, didn't even recognize him. We got Michael Sheen as Dr. Blair Moodfly, who is, you know, a Welsh actor. I think, and for all of you who don't know, Robert Downey Jr.'s accent in this movie was apparently Welsh, and not only that, it was apparently like a decent Welsh accent, who can tell though, right, most of the rest of the globe had no idea Including myself, what the fuck he was saying half the time. But yeah, apparently he had a, a nice little Welsh accent. I'm sure we're going to talk about that later. Um, let's just finish off with the cast list first. So we got Robert Downey Jr., Anto- Antonio Banderas, Michael Sheen, all in live action roles. And then for the, the animals, his his little friends, we got Emma Thompson, who I think is actually Dame Emma Thompson, As Polly the parrot. We got Tom Holland himself as the dog. We got John Cena as the polar bear. We got Kumail Nanjiani as the ostrich. Or emu? I have no fucking idea. We got Rami Malek as the gorilla. We got Octavia Spencer as the duck. We got Craig Robinson as the squirrel. We got fucking... Ralph finds as the tiger. Oh my god. Also, there's uh, a few that I'm missing. I know Will Arnett was uncredited as like this rabbit dude for two seconds. Um, Jason Manzukis was the uh, dragonfly. This cast is so good. I have no idea how so many Oscar winners, so many Oscar nominees read the script and were like, yeah. Yeah, I would love to play a fucking weirdo giraffe in this movie yeah i i would i actually yeah i i would love to play just a dog with five lines like what y'all you can do so much
0: better i do not know how this happened you i'm I, I you know passed through the credits very quickly so i don't know if my eyes were deceiving me but i do believe it i think selena gomez was in fact the giraffe Yeah, I don't know how this cast came together. Um, Half of them, I mean, you'd think would have very recognizable voices, but I did not recognize, like, Tom Holland and John Cena and Rami Malek. For some reason, they only clicked in the credits when their names came up. (laughs) But, wow, I mean, don't know how this
1: happened, but it did. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so you're right. Selena Gomez was the giraffe. I have a theory, right? I have a theory as to how all of this happened. It comes down to Robert Downey Jr. being one a very charismatic person and two, the executive producer on this. He's got to have reeled them in with his own charm, not with the script, not with anything else. It had to it had to be something like that. Otherwise, who would convince Oscar nominated, I think, Octavia Spencer to play Dab Dab the Duck? Who else could have done this?
0: This is a good point. I feel like, okay, there's some actors out there, like, well, there's only one actor I can think of Samuel L. Jackson. I love Samuel L. Jackson. His kind of motto when it comes to acting is that he never says no to a role. Uh, So any movie that they want him for, he's like, sign me up. And somehow I feel like the actors in this movie are not the same. So I agree. Our boy RDJ must, I mean, he's just got such charisma. He's like the coolest cat in the pack. Yeah, he must have sort of uh, reeled them in with that. Speaking of RDJ, I mean,
1: I don't know if I can wait to talk about the accent. Okay, okay then we're not going to wait. We're going to talk about it. Like I said, it's supposed to be a Welsh accent. I'm not Welsh. I don't really know anybody with a Welsh accent in my personal life. I can name maybe two actors, two famous people who are Welsh and who frequently speak with their Welsh accent. Um, so I don't know what a good one sounds like. But in terms of accents that are understandable in a movie sense, it, it wasn't hidden i i think because okay here's the thing right we know he can do a good english accent he did one in chaplin he did one in sherlock holmes i mean stick to what you know right i think he could have pulled this off way better if he had stuck to his guns done his usual little english accent and walked away instead because he got like fucking roasted and he's gonna get roasted a little bit more by us for this accent and i can see why Yeah, yep.
0: (laughs) Uh, If he had stuck to the stuff he knows, stuck to the status quo, whoa, 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 this may have been a bit more understandable movie. I think I heard or I saw an interview or something where he said that he didn't want to just kind of do the same thing that he had been doing. He's like, yeah, I've I've done Chaplin and Sherlock Holmes and whatever, and they all have the British accent. He wanted to do something different. Now, different to me, like do an Australian accent. Do the South, a- South African accent. <laughs> I quite enjoy a, the Welsh accent. I only have had experience uh, with one person who has had a Welsh accent. And that was the <laughs> an audiobook narrator for uh, Clockwork Princess. And that is it. <laughs> one audiobook. <laughs> um, so that's all I know about the Welsh accent. But in this movie, here's the thing. I tried to put on the subtitles in the version that I was watching. Um, Because I could not understand what uh, Robert Downey Jr. was saying. But the subtitles in the version that I found legally online were like two minutes ahead of what the thing was going to say. So I... I, I felt like an oracle, just knowing exactly what was gonna happen like two minutes before <laughs> it actually happened in the movie, and you couldn't tell what characters were gonna say it, because of course they didn't have the character names next to the script line, so it was just sort of a big mess. So I turned them off eventually and just sort of settled for you know, just experiencing the mumbling auditorily. <laughs> Cause not only here's the thing not only was it like a Welsh accent, it was like a mumble Welsh. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, like, doing Whisper Welsh. I don't know what what he would... Actually, you know what? You mentioned that he said in an interview um, that he wanted to do something different. I have the quote from the interview. The interview um, was on the Joe Rogan podcast. But anyways, he um, said that the inspiration for this Dr. Dolittle character was from a Welsh neo-pagan physician called William Price. By the way, I'm getting this quote and everything from the Wikipedia page. So he said, this is the direct quote, same way I did with Iron Man. Before I signed on, I was just Googling weirdest Welsh doctor. I just wanted to think of... I don't want to do just another English accent. So there was this guy called William Price, who's a nutty Welsh doctor. He was a neo-Druidist. He believed he could communicate with all nature and all that stuff. So he sent a picture of this wild-looking guy wearing this kind of suit with stars on it. And like a staff in his hand to the director. And he goes, that looks good to me. And I was like, great, let's do this movie. Um, I mean, that's it. That's interesting. I love the way that that is
0: worded. um, It sounds like that when he got the role of Tony Stark as Iron Man, he also looked up Weirdest (laughs) Welsh (laughs)
1: veterinarians
0: on Google.
1: Maybe he did. He's kind of an eccentric guy. I think, though, this is a little bit too eccentric. I think he could have easily stuck to his usual English accent.
0: I think so, too. I think it would have been a little bit more understandable. But you know we got what we got, and it was beautiful, if not uh, understandable. But <laughs> you know, say lovey, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so to go along with this movie, if you're just going to listen to our podcast, or if you're actually going to watch the movie yourself, either way, we have a specialty shot you can use for a little drinking game that we have come up with uh, to make this movie a little bit more enjoyable.
1: The drink we have today is from thespruceeats.com, and the drink is called the Dragon's Heart Cocktail. Now you may be wondering, why the Dragon's Heart? Well, because, as we're going to go over in our breakdown very soon, um, there's a dragon in this movie, which I didn't know, but there is one. And it's it comes in, you know, at the climax, and it's a very important scene that I wish just, didn't happen in this movie but it did and there's a dragon so we have the dragon's heart cocktail to help you get through this so what you're gonna need are three lime wedges three quarter ounces of elderflower cordial five dashes of aromatic bitters one and a half ounces of aged rum three quarter ounces of mezcal half an ounce of ginger liqueur One and a half ounces of blood orange juice and one blood orange slice for garnish. Now this is how you make it. Gather the ingredients. Step one. Step two. In a cocktail shaker, add the lime wedges, elderflower, and three drops of bitters. Muddle well. Step three. Add the rum, mezcal, ginger liqueur, and blood orange juice and fill the shaker with ice. Step four. Shake vigorously. Step five, strain into a chilled cocktail glass. And step six, garnish with two drops of bitters and a blood orange slice. Serve and enjoy. So to go along with
0: that, we have a drinking game like we mentioned. I recommend you probably take sips too. A couple of these points happen quite a lot in the movie. I think we're going to go back and forth and say our points So my first point is every time an animal offers Doolittle, like a piece of celery or a leek or
1: some other vegetable. Oh, that's very good. I have, for my first one, every time he heals someone, whether that's a person or an animal. Mm,
0: That's good. I have every time the gorilla talks about how scared he is.
1: Ooh, I have every time, and this one definitely going to want to sip... Every time there's a fart or butt or poop joke. Every time the squirrel recites his captain's log. Every time the live-action actors make just, like, embarrassing animal noises.
0: Like us at the beginning of this podcast, I guess. I have two more points. One is every time Doolittle gets captured. And the last point is every time Doolittle kisses his necklace. Um, and that is it. You can choose from the list, pick your favorites, and uh, just make this movie a little bit more enjoyable for yourself.
1: Yep. And if you don't want to watch this movie, totally understandable. We'll try to yell out "drink" whenever these things happen uh, as we're going through our breakdown, which I guess we'll we'll just jump right into. So this movie starts off with this cute little animated backstory where it kind of describes how Doolittle used to live with his wife in their little zoo, sanctuary kind of place. Uh, But then his wife goes out to sea to look for something. She dies in like a storm. Doolittle gets like super depressed. He closes his doors. He doesn't talk to people now. Um, He doesn't interact with people a lot. He only ever talks to his animals. And then that's when we get into the, the live action part. And I thought, just for a moment, for probably the best moment in this movie, I thought that this was going to be like a cute little animated movie. Yes. And I think it should have been. Uh, I think people would have been a lot more easy on it if it, it was this anime. Because the animation was really good in the beginning. I loved it. And I, I feel like it kind of fits the movie better than the live action because the live action was fine um the cgi was fine but i feel like there aren't as many 2d animated movies anymore and i kind of miss them and i feel like they're trying to replace them all with cgi like all the disney remakes of like the lion king and the jungle book they just like don't live up to to the 2d animated ones and i feel like we should have brought it back i i think do little could have been told much better in an animated form
0: agreed i really want to talk about this opening sequence because it's like a little two minute prelude to the story to tell us what happened before the actual movie takes place but i adored this opening sequence as someone trying to get into this specific area of film the like beautiful animations i mean the animation style okay here's we're gonna start off positive with this movie, right? I I, I predict we'll sort of be uh, shredding into this bad boy as we go. Um, I, I am, in fact, a precog. Tom Cruise has kidnapped me out of my nasty bathwater to go solve some future crimes. Uh, <laughs> and I do know that we will be absolutely tearing this movie apart. So we're going to start off positive here. The opening sequence, gorgeous. The animation style itself was like this beautiful... 2D painterly style, it was, I mean, not only like visually stunning because it was, but you're right. It fit the tone of the movie so much better. I completely agree. I think that we are done (laughs) as a society with bad CGI animal movies. I think that, just like, you know how, like after the, the last Hunger Games movie, YA dystopias kind of died as a genre in like two years i think cgi bad animal kids movies are the next genre to go i don't think we need them anymore oh i don't know something like just putting them into like if you're gonna have bad cgi have them in animation like the whole thing in animation we don't need live act we can have half this amazing cast is voice actors anyway just have them all be voice actors including our dj
1: yeah it was just such a cute charming like little animation and I feel like the thing about this movie is that they they were trying really hard to make this version of Doolittle uh different from Eddie Murphy's version different from the original 1967 Rex Harrison Doolittle uh different from they took some elements for from the books but they tried to make it their own but the only thing they really had to do to differentiate themselves was to do it in an animated style because Eddie Murphy's wasn't animated. The original wasn't animated. This one could have been so cute. It could have been so charming. And, and like, you're right. They're all voice acting anyways. It wouldn't be difficult to make RDJ act his lines out the same way. And, like, I, I don't know. I feel like it would have saved them a lot of money, too. Um, But but it, it was just... Oh, the what could have been was just... And then you gotta, oh, you gotta watch the rest of the movie thinking about it could have been animated, it could have been so good. But, you know what? That's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. We got what we got. Yeah, it could have saved them so much time, so much money, and we, trust me, will get into the production problems that this movie had. I think animating, like, completely animating this movie would have saved them, God, so much trouble in making this movie but sadly, it's just this, I mean, per- can I say perfection of an opening sequence? And they go back to it at the end credits as well. It's not animated, but they have like this beautiful, like painterly style visages of little scenes from the movie and everything that are in the same style as the original opening animation. And it's stunning. I You want to stick around for the credits, Marvel movie style, because it's so beautiful. And it's like that the whole movie could have been that way. But, you know, stay lucky. It's fine. I'm over it.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. R.I.P. to the movie that could have been. Also, just just while we're on this kind of tangent. I don't know if that's the right word. But while we're saying nice things about this movie, let's stick in another nice thing. I think the score was really good. I love it. It was like this fantastical music. It, it fit the tone really well. I really like the music in this and and that music paired with the animation could have been so good dream team
0: oh my god yes especially because i feel like 2d animation sort of dying out now like the last i think disney 2d movie was like princess and the frog back in like the 2010s it just like and especially like this style could have worked so well because you can tell it's not just 2d animated like You know, the original Disney films like they have worked in some beautiful CGI like 3D animation blended with it. Like one of the best modern, sorry, we're getting, (laughs) but one of the best modern animated movies I think we've all seen. And I think we're all going to agree on this is Spider Into the Spider-Verse. So good. The way that they blended 3D and 2D animation was stunning. I just watched another movie on Netflix the Millers versus the Machines, which is about like a uh, family, uh, a dysfunctional family fighting the rogue bot apocalypse. And it was fantastic. It was really good. And part of that was the animation style that just kind of reminded me of it. It was like quirky and uh, I just, you know, what you said before, you're totally right. Really resonates with you because you see this opening sequence and you think it's stunning. You think it's going to be like that for the rest of the movie. Unless you've seen the poster and you know it's live action. But the whole movie, you're just thinking about, it could have been that. And it should have been that.
1: Yeah, Into the Spider-Verse was was so great because it was so unique. Like, you don't really see that kind of style of animation. Just like you don't see the kind of style an- of animation that was in the first five minutes of this movie. And it was just, I don't know, it, it sticks out in your mind. You uh, Even now, I, I watched it like a week ago. I can still kind of picture it and it's so good and then as soon as we you know get to the live action part we immediately we jump right into this movie with a like almost squirrel killing like there is a a, a very near death experience for a squirrel in this movie first scene first live action scene you're like oh what a what a cute charming little animation and then it's like oh let's shoot this fucking squirrel so we <laughs> We get into the live-action part. We meet this boy, Stubbins, who is out what with his family. I know. The, for the name, great. All of the names <laughs> in this movie are a little bit... I mean, the duck is called Dab-Dab. Um, the, <laughs> the villain is called Moodfly. Um, but we can't really blame the movie because they're based on books. And I think the animals have the same names as they did in the books. So not, not a total roast for this movie, but still. Um...
0: Can I just say, uh yeah, the the polar bear is named Yoshi, yes, like the Mario <laughs> character we've got Rami Malik's gorilla is Chi Chi and keeping on with the wacky names ride, uh the squirrel that Amy just mentioned that just got shot, guess what his name is?
1: Uh yeah, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> They're really all over the place, uh with these names. Not really a, a pattern here with the names. Yeah, okay, so, we, so we're introduced to Stubbins, who is out hunting with his family. His family consists of, like, his dad and his brothers, who are kind of, like, macho hunter dudes, and they're like, why don't you shoot some fucking geese, pussy? And he's like, I don't want to kill animals. And then he shoots at the at the birds or whatever, and he ends up shooting a squirrel in a tree nearby. Um, And he's like, oh my god, I shot a squirrel. <laughs> and I feel like if you're gonna introduce a character like just shooting an animal in the first scene i don't care that he feels bad about it he is not sympathetic to me he's just an idiot boy um and i didn't like him for the rest of the movie they kind of set him up in a, in a not so great way because they're like yeah this squirrel is almost dead and i i almost shot him and he, he's almost dead but oh poor me because i have like a bad hunting family who makes me go hunt. bitch you don't have to like, you don't, you don't have to. And then he, he runs off to find Dr. Doolittle to help him fix up this squirrel that he just shot. And Doolittle's like, who shot the squirrel? He's like, me? And <laughs> I'm like, okay. This is a very strange intro to a character that is not sympathetic and also not helpful. The whole movie, he's like the most useless person in this movie. I'm like, why is he here? So yeah, Stubbins brings the squirrel to Doolittle's house. Doolittle's little sanctuary of course is closed because he doesn't want to see people anymore. He is uh kind of he's kind of retreated from society. I feel that. Um so then his bird Polly, Doolittle's bird Polly kind of has to um lead Stubbins in through this like secret passage and while Stubbins is trying to find Doolittle at the same time. Lady Rose, who is, like, the the queen's daughter or niece or something related to the queen, both of them are, like, I don't know, 12 years old? I have no fucking clue. But uh, they both go to Doolittle's house at the same time. He needs to fix up his squirrel. She needs to get Doolittle to help the queen because the queen is dying. And the queen specifically asked for Dr. Doolittle himself. Now... If you're, like, the top-notch, the topest notchest vet in the country, like, that's still, like, does that qualify you to treat people, though? I would think not. I'm pretty
0: sure there's a reason that there's a distinction between people doctor and animal doctor in the real world. And also, he's, like, not even a practicing doctor. <laughs> the opening sequence sets him up to, like, yeah, he, like, he was so sad that his wife died that he, like, shut himself out from the world for 10 years and he's just been living as a little hermit, Luke Skywalker style. So, like, I don't know. Like, if I don't... I don't know, draw for like two days. I forget how drawing works. i got to warm myself back up. And she's like, yeah, no, let's get, um, what doctor should I hire to literally save my life? Oh, any of my royal palace staff that are literally hired for this exact purpose? No, I'm going to get an animal doctor that was kind of good 10 years ago, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? Okay. Okay, here's the thing, because I, in preparation for this episode, because your girl loves to do her research. I watched the Eddie Murphy Doctor Dolittle, the first one, because I used to love it as a kid. And I was like, I I don't really remember it. Let's watch it again. So in the Eddie Murphy Doctor Dolittle, he's like a human doctor. And he's seen treating humans because, you know, he's a human doctor. And then he gets kind of... um, he kind of has to go into the animal doctoring world which i I feel like it also works like both ways i feel like if you're a human doctor that doesn't necessarily qualify you to be an animal doctor but anyways he can talk to the animals he knows what he knows what's up he like generally i guess has like a good sense of anatomy fine whatever i feel like it's easier uh to explain it that way to go from humans to animals than animals to humans but i think they tried to like give us hints that he was a human doctor at one point because the villain in this uh story moodfly played by michael sheen keeps making references to like oh, uh, when me and and john doolittle were in school together blah 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 so i guess he was like in human doctor school like i don't know dude i'm like kind of fucking confused <laughs> is there a difference like okay
0: i i I'm not in the medical field but it, it, I feel like and doctors out there please correct me if you go to medical school right you're not like specialized yet so if you're a veterinarian do you also go to to medical school the same as a regular doctor or do you have to go to veterinary school is that a thing
1: I know I know veterinary school is a thing we're we're the most unqualified people to talk about this um so i don't know but i i imagine that i imagine that it doesn't really work like that like if you're a human doctor you can't just be like yeah i'm going to you know do some surgery and take out your dog's rusty ass pancreas or something like yeah I, I don't think that works like that but yeah, I, I literally have no idea. They, they set up this whole, like, um, very cute, very charming animated backstory, and yet they don't tell us, like, what kind of fucking doctor he is because he's only treating animals this whole movie, except when he gets hired to treat literally the Queen of England. They do try to give him a bit of an incentive. I
0: guess the Queen wanted him specifically because she, she got some dirt on him, I guess. Which I guess is a good enough reason to hire someone. Um, Whenever I get a (laughs) client, I'm always blackmailing them. (laughs) Or they're blackmailing me. It's got to go one of the ways. So they mention that the Queen is sick, right? She is dying and Doolittle doesn't really want to help her at first. He's literally like, why me? I'm an animal doctor. But apparently we find out that if the Queen dies because she owns the deed to Doolittle's land, if she dies, the deed goes away and he has no home. Also, she's like designated this whole area around his house as a nature preserve, and if she dies, that goes away too. And he's like, hmm, that's kind of shady and super sucks, so I guess I have to help her now, Uh, because he wants to have a house
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and the animals um also mentioned it's like the middle of hunting season so if if they all are released they're just gonna probably get shot by this dumbass kid's family (laughs) um so yeah he needs a house he's like oh i thought the deed was was for life and then the bird is like yeah her life not your life so he has to like haul ass to buckingham palace and this stupid little fucking boy stuff stop- Oh, first, first, he fixes the squirrel. Um, he does some surgery on the squirrel. The rest of the animals with their dirty ass, nasty ass paws and claws and whatever <laughs> are like helping him in the in the surgery. He's like, hand me that scalpel. They hand him like a carrot or something. Take a drink. Um, they probably all have fleas or rabies or ticks or all three. And they're, like, helping the squirrel, like, you know, bust his body open and, like, surgically remove that bullet. And I'm, I'm, like, I don't know about this whole practice. I don't know. The queen is looking at this, like, yeah, that's what I want. I want this man who's, like, probably been infested with, like, dog fleas to come and save my life. And I'm, like, <laughs> okay. Like, that's an interesting choice but he does save the squirrel he he hauls ass to buckingham palace the queen is there she's like laying in her bed very sickly we meet the villain mudfly who's like had it out for doolittle ever since vague medical school for humans for animals (laughs) who knows But but uh, Moodfly is like, oh, Dr. Doolittle can't do anything. He can't save the queen. She's fucking dying. She's going to be dead in like a week or something. So Dr. Doolittle literally takes all of his animals inside the queen's chamber or, or whatever, her bedroom, and the, the dirty ass dog played by Tom Holland. Is like sniffing around her, probably infesting her whole bed with like bugs and stuff. So so the dog is like, yeah, I I, I sniffed it out. I know she's been poisoned. Dr. Doolittle's like interesting. What's the antidote for the poison? The the thing that his wife was trying to get on her voyage across some kind of sea where she got killed in the storm in some kind of storm out at sea. So that's the thing that they have to get. It's some some kind of fruit... Fruit of of a tree. Some something very important, some kind of fruit. And it's it cures all ailments. It it's gonna cure the queen, cause somebody damn poisoned her. And Doolittle's like, first of all, gotta get the fruit. Second of all, gotta get to the bottom of who fucking poisoned her. So he plants his little stick bug in the room and he's like, When I come back, you better tell me all the tea. And the stick bug's like, I got you, son.
0: Yeah, he got. He's got to get to the point. He's got to get to the bottom of who killed the queen. Even though the second he walks into that room, we see Mister Mootfly, uh, just twirling his little mustache, his little villain mustache with his goth villain clothes on, like the queen will never recover. Uh, And (laughs) Doolittle's like, I wonder who did it.
1: (laughs) So now he has to go and get the fruit of the Eden tree. But no one has successfully gotten it because his wife, who is the only person who kind of knew where it was, has died. So he has to get, first, before he goes anywhere, he has to get his wife's journal, which he doesn't have. So he has to go on a a little mini voyage before the voyage to go get it. And the stupid little boy Stubbins is following him around for no reason. And then they leave Buckingham Palace, and the boy is like, oh, can I be your apprentice? And Doolittle's like, um, fuck no. (laughs) Can't blame him. And then uh, the boy's like, but I was helpful in there, wasn't I? And it's like, sorry, I I didn't see you do literally anything in there. Like he didn't, like the dog was more helpful than him. And by the way, the dog, played by Tom Holland, stays with the queen, and we like never see him again until the end.
0: Yeah, he's just, like, a emotional support dog for her, I guess. And, yeah, this stupid hunter boy, like, sneaks on to Doolittle's ship, and now Doolittle's kind of stuck with him, and they've got to be forced to bond together. Because Doolittle's got this whole hermit thing going on where he doesn't want to let anyone else into his life and risk losing them, too, like he lost his wife. Uh, although... That, re- the, the way I just said, it was a lot more dramatic than it comes off in the movie because there is no emotion uh, that that is ever shown in this movie. So that's really fun. Um, <laughs> but they try to kind of force this bond between Doolittle and the kid as they're like, you know, sailing the seas, going on this quest voyage. The boy? Okay, you have seen the original, well, the remake of the original which is now considered the original (laughs) Doolittle with Eddie Murphy. I was going to, and then I decided I don't want to. (laughs) So I didn't. So I don't know how it works in that movie. How I always thought Doolittle's whole deal worked was that he had, like, Avengers-level magic powers where he could speak to animals, and that was, like, his thing. In this movie, it... Comes across like learning animal is just something anything can do because in like two minutes the hunter child picks up like every animal language and he's like well oh is this right that when the monkey says that means I want my blankets and Doolittle's <laughs> like
1: you got it you know animal now is that how it works? Absolutely not. This movie I same I didn't get it because in in the Eddie Murphy movie. He's shown as a kid to have this like power where he can talk to animals. And he had like a childhood dog growing up who was played by Ellen DeGeneres for some reason, um, who he was talking to as, as a child. And then he kind of suppresses that part of himself while he grows up and he becomes a human doctor, you know, a doctor who treats humans. And <laughs> and so uh, it only comes back to him later in his life when he meets this dog that he almost he by the way, he almost hits his dog while he's driving on the road. But he doesn't, like, fucking shoot it because his little daddy told him to. He's not a little bitch-ass. Um, so he almost hits the dog, and then he finds out he can talk to the dog because the dog's like, hey, man, what the fuck? And he's like, well, hold on a second. And... Like, everyone in his life kind of treats it like, oh my god, Doodle, you're you're crazy, you can't talk to animals. And he's the only one who can talk to animals. And it's not like this movie, because like you said, the fucking boy just, like, knows the most random shit, how to say the most random shit. And, and, then, and then there's this scene where... so. Answer your question, um, no, it's not like that. And to move on a little further, so the the dude who's like the queen's right hand man, this old dude, um, he sends Moodfly after Doolittle as a fucking assassin or something. He's like killed a bitch. And Moodfly's like, I would fucking love to. So Moodfly goes on this warship after Doolittle, and then um the the boy Stubbins is looking over at the warship and he gives doolittle a warning that's like oh there's a warship coming except he says it in polar bear language first he's not like oh hey doolittle um by the way there's a warship he's like ooh uh what whatever the fucking polar bear I don't, I don't know how to speak more so he says it in the polar bear language and I'm like why Because first of all, nobody understands you. They took like five minutes of their precious lifetime to figure out what the fuck he was saying. Just say it in English, bitch. Nobody cares that you know how to speak polar bear because it literally never comes up throughout the rest of the movie where there's a scene that's necessary for him to speak polar bear or any other animal language. I don't know, this just annoyed me so much. I'm so glad you brought it up. Oh yeah, he, you know naturally when you're in mortal peril
0: you're like mm, this is the perfect language learning opportunity i love when i am about to get in a car crash and i decide to say to whoever else is in the car i can't think of a language <laughs> uh pala peligroso and uh, the rest <laughs> of the people in the car can figure out what that means uh it's not up to me man i am just trying to further my own education
1: this kid, I just fucking hated him the whole time. He was so useless. In fact, he hindered literally every voyage they were on. He was of no help. In fact, he was of negative help. Because Doolittle constantly had to, like, and the animals had to constantly clean up after the stupid boy's messes. And, like, just get him out of here. Te- not not even the voyage. The whole fucking movie. Get him out of here. I think
0: they were trying to play up this boy. As like a son figure to Dr. RDJ's Doolittle. And it didn't work. <laughs> it was just an annoying child. They were trying to play him up as like the next doolittle, I think, right because he's starting to learn the languages. he's starting to like get to know the animals, even though he shot one as the first as our introduction to him. It seemed to me like they were trying to make him be like a, a Doolittle junior character. And I was not into it at all. I was like, RDJ is already doctored. We already got one man that can talk to animals. I thought that was his thing. And now it turns out anyone who, I guess, is in proximity to an animal can just kind of pick up their language. So it did not work the way that I think they wanted it to come across.
1: Okay, okay. We got to talk about this. I was going to talk about this at the end, but I feel like now is the opportune moment to talk about this. So I feel like they put Tom Holland, you're absolutely right. They wanted to have this like mentor, mentee, kind of uh, Tony Stark, Peter Parker thing going on because it worked in Spider-Man, worked in the Avengers. They're like, RDJ got that dad slash... Teacher energy going on, and it worked there it worked in in the Marvel movies, but here he has like zero chemistry with the the boy in this movie, and I feel like that's so hard to do because I said at the beginning of the movie he seemed like such a charismatic dude. I feel like he gets along with a lot of people, but to have him as like the one actor that in the whole world that he has zero chemistry with, and then. They include Tom Holland in this movie as like a nothing role. Basically, the dog has like five lines and they promote the way that they promoted it. They're like, oh, RDJ and Tom Holland reunited at last. You wanted to see them in something else. Well, you got it. But they don't really interact in this movie, but they were really selling it. Like, they did interact. And I feel like either get the fucking boy out of this movie, no boy role to anybody, or Tom Holland should have been the boy in this movie because, first of all, we know he has chemistry with RDJ. He's worked with him before. They, you know, they get along great, whatever. And they were using him for promotional-slash-marketing reasons anyway, but he was barely there. So I feel like they played that up too much. They had to, like... If they were going to do it like that, they had to go in and be like, yeah, you know what? Reunited. Fucking Tom Holland is back. Back again, baby. Except they didn't. Yeah. Like you mentioned before. Tom Holland is, like, the
0: only character that gets left behind for the whole, like, out of all the animals, they chose Tom Holland, the character that RDJ has the most chemistry with, to leave behind for the whole movie and take along this random stupid boy
1: that does nothing. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, it fucking made no sense. Okay, everything in this movie was just every choice that they made was somehow the wrong choice and uh, i mean like what an easy thing it would have been for them they would have gotten so much less flack probably if they showed that fucking chemistry that we know and love and also the the boy was so annoying i'm so sorry to the boy in this movie but he didn't have to be there at all
0: He did not have to be there at all. And we'll talk a lot later about all the characters that did not need to be there. But in the meantime, we continue. They've been on this voyage. They're sailing the seas. And their first stop before they can actually get to the fruit, because I don't know where the fruit is. (laughs) Because the location of the fruit is hidden inside, like Amy said, the journal of RDJ's dead wife, which is on... Uh, the island like her her home land island basically which is ruled i guess by her chieftain father i don't know if she is like a princess or something that they tried to set this up but her dad rules this island and he is keeping the journal for himself it's like his most prized possession because you know it's the only thing he has left of his Dead daughter. So of course the chieftain—I don't know if you remember from when we went over the cast list—but is our boy, Tony Flags, A.K.A. Antonio Banderas, uh, who kind of <laughs> bring it back? Oh, we love a callback. Oh, uh, but once you recognize him, you're like Tony. <laughs> so he blames Doolittle because honestly, it's kind of unclear. Doolittle should have stopped her going on the voyage. What something. He blames Doolittle for his daughter's death. So Doolittle now has to go in, sneak e- into the, the palace and steal this journal. So naturally, as you do, he enlists the help of the Ant Mafia to, to help him sneak into the palace, which are never seen again. But they fail <laughs> they fail miserably. And RDJ gets thrown in jail, has to like fight a tiger, and all the animals have to come rescue him while the boy goes and steals the journal. But this whole time, (laughs) Mudfly, Mudfly, the evil guy, uh, has been following RDJ in his mega warship because, of course, you know, he's a bad guy and he doesn't want RDJ to get to the magic flower fruit tree because he wants the queen dead. So he has been following RDJ the whole time. And once RDJ finally gets the journal, bad guys are like, psych, we'll take that. And they steal the journal back from him. Uh, and now that they have the journal, they know where the antidote true tr- for flower... Tr- they kind of switch up the words a lot. They say fruit, flower, and tree, kind of interchangeably. So it's kind of unclear what the antidote is. But they go, they know where the antidote is now. So they set sail to destroy it. And Doolittle and crew has got to leave the island and follow them to try to find it.
1: Now hang on. Hang on before we get too far. Because... As you mentioned, Doolittle... Okay, the boy didn't get the journal because he's fucking useless. And meanwhile, Doolittle gets locked up in this tiger cage, like you said. And the tiger, played again by Ralph Fiennes, um, has this... Fuck, he, The tiger... Uh, his whole deal is that he needs therapy. So so not only is Dr. Doolittle a human doctor, an animal doctor, but he's now also an animal therapist. Um, So... <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, trying to cure this tiger's mommy issues or something, but also fighting him. And then, you know, the gorilla, who's, like, kind of scared, just in general, crashes through the window and fights the tiger for him. Okay, I I have a lot of questions. I think this, like, goes back to, is he a human doctor? Is he an animal doctor? Is he a good doctor? Right? Because the whole time throughout this whole movie he really only heals two people slash animals one person one animal like at the beginning he heals a squirrel at the end he's got to deal with the queen but throughout the movie we get introduced to like all the other animals like his his animal crew and their problems and he like Doesn't really help any of them. So we got the tiger who, like, needs his mom's approval. And then Doolittle is just like, actually, I'm going to beat your ass and I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And he leaves the tiger there and he doesn't, like, solve any of his issues. I guess he taught the gorilla who's, like, just scared of everything Not to be scared, but like kind of unclear. And then the whole deal with the polar bear and the ostrich is that they don't get along. But then at this point, they become friends. But that doesn't really have anything to do with Doolittle. They just became friends on their own. So I'm like, what does he actually do? Yeah, you mentioned that he's kind of an animal therapist
0: now, in addition to an animal doctor and maybe human doctor. He may be a fine doctor doctor. He, you know, heals what he needs to heal, but he's like not a good therapist, like at all. <laughs> you're right. The the tiger is like, oh my god, I just want approval from my mom. And he's like, Mm, sucks. Anyway, boom, bam, beep, bop boom, and beats him up. <laughs> and you're right. He's literally <laughs> his whole entire crew of like 12 animals all have their own individual psychological issues that they're dealing with the the gorilla is like I'm not good enough I'm scared of everything and RDJ is like well have you tried not being scared and the gorilla is like okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's not good. And then um, the the thing about the tiger is that he recognizes Doolittle because Doolittle's been to that island before he like kind of because his wife is from there. His dead wife is from there. And the tiger says, oh, the last time you were here, you didn't finish like my treatment. And then this time he's also like, bye, bitch. Well, he's not
0: finishing anyone's treatment i guess he helps uh, zero animals uh, mentally speaking in this movie
1: yeah so so then moodfly blows up his ship he's got no ship but then immediately um antonio banderas gives him a new ship and he's like get the fuck out i never want to see you again i'm only letting you live because i love my daughter anyway peace out bye um and then yeah as you said he goes off on his voyage after Moodfly to go and get the fruit slash tree slash plant just general just the antidote so then he follows Moodfly Moodfly gets to this weird cave where the fruit is supposed to be and then he's like doolittle am I in the right place doolittle like I fucking honestly have no clue dude and he's like okay well anyways which (laughs) to be fair Moodfly
0: has the journal (laughs) Doolittle <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have the <to> journal. <laughs> you expect yeah. him to do?
1: Yeah, and then so are like, you know, we kind of bickering over it, and then this fucking dragon appears, and the dragon. Oh well, this is another animal that I guess Doolittle heals. Here's the thing, though, is that we've set up right
0: that. This is not a special ability innate to Doolittle. That I guess he's just sort of learned over his years to speak to animals, and uh, yeah, they come across. And you heard that right—a dragon, a mythical creature, medieval dragon. So I guess mythical creatures exist in this world. I guess we're introducing that, and it's guarding the tree or whatever. But he Doolittle like immediately picks up. Like, he immediately knows how to talk to dragons, I guess. There's no learning involved. Which, if this was, like, a power that Doolittle had, it would be like, yeah, okay, he can talk to dragons. Dragons are, like, an animal, I guess. But the fact that they set up that he has to learn how to speak to animals, and in two seconds he's like, "Mm, I know fluent dragon now. Well... I just, I have questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So they kind of set up the, the whole thing that, oh, maybe dragons do exist. Because Mudfly mentions this paper or something that Dude Little wrote when, when they were in school together. And it was like, do dragons exist? But yeah, he wasn't sure, though, whether they exist. Or that that was kind of the what they were hinting at when they brought up this paper that he wrote. And then all of a sudden, they do exist. And he... Exactly. He, like, knows, just knows how to speak dragon fluently. And the dragon's like, whoa, you can speak my language? Still gonna kill you, though. And he's like, well, I tried, I guess. <laughs> and then the the dragon is, like, before the dragon can, like, kill, like, I guess all of the animals, um, it pushes Mudfly, like, down a cliff or something. Who fucking knows. And then... It's also constipated, so it pushes Mudfly down a cliff, and it's the and then the dragon is like, "Yeah, I gotta lie down now." So the dragon lies down. Doolittle's like, "I can tell something is wrong with you." No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> And then the thing, the thing that this whole movie, this one and a half hour movie, maybe even one hour and 40 minutes long movie, is building up to. The final act, the climax, is all building up to this the fact that the dragon is constipated. Wonderful, right? The way that Doolittle resolves this (laughs) issue is that there's. If I had to guess, I would say five-minute long. A five-minute long scene of Doolittle just like taking things out of the dragon's asshole. He's like, whoa, you got bagpipes in there? You got a fucking human skull in there? That's where the blockage is coming from. And the dragon's like, oh man, it feels so good now that I don't have like all this random ass shit up my ass, I guess. And then the dragon farts in his face for 30 seconds of that 5 minute scene. And then, um, also at some point the dragon like fully barfs on him. So he's covered in dragon barf. He's been farted on like a wet, a wet fart. You know the one. He's been farted on by a dragon. Also, he's probably got dragon shit all over his hands. And he's, and they're right next to this waterfall that in this cave. And he, at no point, does he even try to wash his hands. (laughs) Good
0: point. (laughs) He just goes straight from there to touching the fruit that he's going to give to the queen and rub all over her lips.
1: Hmm? well (laughs) this movie is so fucking stupid dude i i i gotta say right before we finish this breakdown that the eddie murphy dr doolittle is actually very good um, I would recommend to anybody who thinks that they want to see a Dr. Doolittle movie, I would 100% recommend the Eddie Murphy Doolittle over this Doolittle any day. And I love me some RDJ, but this this movie was just not it, dude. The whole climax of the movie was, I'm going to pull some stuff out of this dragon's as and then he does that. And then he's like. I got the fruit. I got the fruit in my stinky little hand. <laughs> and then they're like. Peace out. And the dragon's like. Peace out. And they go back on their ship. And they go back to Buckingham Palace. And then there's this whole scene. And the boy does like the one thing. That I guess is useful in this whole movie. And he's the one with I guess his little clean hands. Because he doesn't do anything. He goes and he squeezes the the juice of the fruit into the queen's mouth and the queen wakes up and she's like okay thanks (laughs) and that's the whole movie and then oh before before the movie ends do little talks to his fucking stick bug on the wall he's like give me the tea and then the stick bug i don't know they introduce this like little bit that doesn't make sense where the stick bug can only talk in a number of sentences or or syllables or something and then it doesn't even do that so so the stick bug says oh the dude who's next in line for the throne poisoned the fucking queen Doolittle's like shocked and that's the end of the movie and that dude gets arrested and we get this little epilogue as ashley was saying before where his house slash sanctuary slash whatever kind of opens up and we see that the boy is now his apprentice that's the end of the movie
0: that's the end of the movie i well what is there to say about this movie besides everything where to even start with this movie i feel like god i don't even i this movie was For a kids movie, I mean, I think the original Doolittle with Eddie Murphy was also aimed at kids, but this movie was like, not funny at all, like at all at all. It was like, every joke, and I do mean every joke flopped in this movie, and I do say the term joke very loosely
1: yeah no it was it was absolutely not funny and in the eddie murphy doolittle that was also aimed at kids but i watched it with my dad and we both enjoyed it like a lot we both had a lot of laughs it was pretty good this one not a single not a single one maybe i did laugh at rdj's accent but that was not like an intentional joke here and i do want to say i have a little piece of trivia here From the Wikipedia. So Universal apparently turned towards Seth Rogen. And whoever co-wrote Neighbors with him. Brendan O'Brien. To help add comedy to the film. However, neither could remain committed to the project. And dropped out. So they tried to like spice up the jokes a little. Seth Rogen's like, I'm down. And then he's like, actually not. I'm not down. And then he dropped out. And then... um. Someone else was assigned to storyboard before that person also left to work on the Tomorrow War. And then the writer for the Lego Batman movie also tried to do rewrites on the script because there was there was like a period of like a month or three weeks where they were reshooting some scenes. So during that time, the Lego Batman writer tried to do some rewrites. Um, He met. With Robert Downey Jr., who allegedly tore his scripts apart in favor of new ideas. Now, RDJ, amazing dude, right? So creative. I think maybe that was the wrong move here. I think maybe you can't get worse than what we saw on screen. I think maybe you should have given his script a chance. I think maybe anything besides the final
0: script would have been a, a better choice for this. And yeah, I think... That, that is probably where a lot of the problems with this movie came up. But apparently, this movie had like a real rocky production. Like you said, it went through like five separate directors all dropping out halfway through to work on other projects, and they didn't want to work on this. They had to do and reshoots. You know, you hear all the time people are like worried about movies coming up because they have to do reshoots. Reshoots happen all the time. It's not that big an issue. But with this movie apparently there was a whole bunch of stuff rushed into production initially because the credited director, uh, the original director Stephen uh, gagin didn't see much point to pre-production at all in the movie and he just wanted to rush into straight into filming and they didn't even know where the animals were going to be in the scene, and he was like, mm, who cares about free pre-production? We're just going to go right into it. And then the movie had such bad test screenings that they had to bring in another director, and then another director, and then another director, and, another director and they had to do more rewrites, and then they tried to make it funnier um, and add more jokes, which is where we got the uh, dragon butthole fingering scene. <laughs> it just, this movie seems to kind of have the worst production history which maybe is where a lot of the weird tonal elements and bad jokes and everything came from
1: oh god dude like pre-production in movies that are first of all like fantasy movies like this one that are very high budget like this one that have a lot of cgi like this one those are the ones who you need the most pre-production so yeah i i see how that could have very much hurt the movie. Um, I just want to say one more thing, or actually two more things. Two more pieces of trivia. The first one from IMDb. Guess who turned down the role of King Rasuli, who ended up being Antonio Banderas? Nicholas Cage. <gasps> what? <laughs> Nick Cage himself could have been in this movie. If Nick Cage turns down your movie... Because we know the movies he's been in. We've yeah. seen on this podcast some of the movies he's been in. If Nicolas Cage turns down your movie, maybe that's not a movie you should make. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that movie needs some work. You know, if Nicolas Cage, who was recently in a movie called Jiu-Jitsu about him doing Jiu-Jitsu, if he's <laughs> the man who turns down... If if Nicolas Cage, not Emma Thompson, not Tom Holland, not John Cena, not Rami Mount Those people didn't turn this down. Nicolas Cage turned this movie down. If he's the man to turn your movie down, don't make that movie. It's a warning sign. It's a bad omen and it's a warning sign.
0: You know what? You're right. I feel like sometimes big actors that are in these types of movies will, you know, take on a couple kids movies or, you know, ensemble cast movies or whatever just to kind of. I don't know, spice things up a bit. Because they have Oscars, they have uh, Emmys, whatever. They, they've they got their, their fill of good movies. They're like, yeah, I can do a side project of a talking dog, whatever. But if Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage, who, as we've talked extensively about on this podcast, has been in movies about um, turning into a vampire and i just the weirdest stuff if nick cage's standards are too high for you that's not a good movie you're making
1: that should have been their first red flag they should have been like you know what scrap it scrap the whole thing we don't need it also i'm glad you mentioned awards because let's talk about awards for a second so this movie was nominated for some Kids' Choice Awards, some People's Choice Awards. RDJ won uh, Favorite Movie Actor for the Kids' Choice Awards. Very nice. Uh, you know what else this movie won? From the Razzies, which are like the opposite of the Oscars. He, he The whole team won for this movie Worst Prequel, Remake, Rip-Off, or Sequel. This won. Uh, you, you know what? They're absolutely right. Let's see what else they got nominated for for the razzies nominated for worst picture worst director worst actor worst screenplay and finally the worst screen combo and the combo J and his utterly unconvincing welsh accent literally that's what it says on wikipedia i can't believe he didn't win for the worst screen combo of him and his fucking ridiculous accent in this movie
0: i agree i feel like You know, not a lot of people turned into the Oscars this year. I feel like award shows are getting to be sort of the the same predictable things every year. The Razzies bringing it, though. The Razzies know what we want. (laughs) They're bringing us the real award. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, okay. I feel like we mentioned the production issues that this movie had. But I feel like a lot of the issues came from the... and I know it went through tons of rewrites. But a lot of the issues with this movie that I had... Besides the weird accents. <laughs> um, we're like initial script stuff. Like writing stuff. Firstly. Okay. We have a, a new section for this season of the podcast. Uh, where we're going to talk a bit more constructively about this movie. About things that if we were in charge of script writing. Uh, production. Whatever. How we would change this movie to be better. I have a lot of points. I like. I have a lot of points for this. Firstly. There was, in this type of movie, you know, where someone is poisoned and you got to go on a a big, long journey to get the answer or whatever. Usually, there's a mystery that comes with that, which is who is the one that poisoned them? We will set up a whole bunch of different characters, people that are close to the queen, maybe people that are close to RDJ, different people that have stuff to gain. It doesn't have to be a mystery movie, but I like that usually there's a mystery element with that of, Who is trying to murder the queen? And with this, the very first scene you see of uh, Moodfly is him, like I said, twirling his little villain mustache, being like, the queen won't last the night. And you know it's him. You know it's him. And they play it (laughs) up to be like RDJ figures it out Like in the climax. He's like, it was the Moodfly and the guy next in line for the throne. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we knew that half an hour ago, RDJ.
1: Yeah, oh my god, Okay completely right i feel like a lot of the things that should have been big payoffs were just very disappointing the whole reveal if you can call it that with mudfly the scene at the end with the dragon that you know supposed to be the whole climax of this movie and then it's just like a I, bunch I, of I, art joke i
0: bet i bet it was a climax for the dragon too <laughs> <laughs> sorry continue
1: <laughs> but yeah um Oh man, I bet it was. I bet the the dragon had a good time at least. But um uh, <laughs> the uh, the all of the things that should have been big payoffs just weren't and it was I think that's you know a lot of the disappointment came from the ending, um, as well as the middle and the beginning. But, <laughs> but, but mostly the ending, because we don't really get any kind of satisfying conclusions. Even the part where RDJ has his, his sign up on his door, where it's like, Dr. Dolittle and Apprentice at the very end. I was like, I don't really care about The Apprentice, and I don't really like the fact that you're setting up a second movie by doing that.
0: Yeah. Do, go, okay, good point about the... They're not fulfilling anything i felt the same way about i mean we we mentioned that all the animals have a kind of thing that they need to get over or whatever but it's like really badly done it's also a kids movie right that they're trying to set up a a deep backstory for all of the animals but we go from you know the gorilla being like (laughs) fart noise hit me in the balls uh to out of nowhere the animals are like <laughs> my dad never loved me as a child and you're like where
1: did that come from <laughs> Yeah and then like you said before none of their actual like psychological issues that they're facing ever are resolved The tiger he's like you know your mommy issues fucking deal with that yourself I'm out of here bye the the anxious ass gorilla he doesn't do anything for him either So like yeah you're totally right and the thing about the animals too was that I didn't really connect with any of the animals, maybe because there were so many, but also maybe because it was, like, they weren't written very well. I feel like the only animal that I actually was rooting for was the squirrel. Because he, like, his whole thing is that he didn't want to be here. And he's like, why am I on a ship with this fucking squirrel killer? And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
0: exactly. Good point. (laughs) The stupid kid. (sighs) I mean, we said they should have either cut the kid, cut the kid entirely, have him bond with an animal or something, or the girl—I don't know—literally anyone with this child that had no point in the movie, or like actually have them bond because they didn't bond at all in this movie. They tried to have a couple scenes of like the kid is learning how to speak gorilla, he's becoming like Doolittle, but like. D- Doolittle didn't teach him that. They weren't actually bonding. It's just at the end, the kid became the apprentice. And you're like, but why? The kid did nothing this entire movie. And you still, you don't even like him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't like earn being an apprentice. He just literally followed Doolittle around. And what what you said about the bonding that's so on point, because not only did Doolittle not really bond with the kid, but the kid didn't really bond with the animals. But we also don't see Doolittle bonding with the animals. Like, there's this one scene where he's teaching the gorilla how to fight, so he's not so scared anymore. But, like, I don't know. He It, it didn't feel like he had, like, a connection with the animals. They were just like, oh, well, he saved us and he took us in, so we owe him, like, a debt or something. But But there was no, like affection for each other or love for each other where they actually, you know, it feels like they want to really be around each other because they have things in common or or chemistry or what have you. There was no bonding between anyone in this movie. Yes.
0: Big, big point about this movie, which is probably one of the biggest points of why it didn't quite resonate, at least with me, is this... There was no emotion in this movie. I feel like this should have been a story about loss, uh, rather than one where a character just happened to die in the beginning of it, if that makes sense. They totally missed all the emotional beats of how it feels to lose someone you love and how to healthily deal with that. They try to cover a couple, like, therapy points, but they kind of do the opposite of therapy of like, oh, you feel sad? Have you tried not? <laughs> it's like, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, you know, we start off this movie with the wife dying, Doolittle, you know, shuts himself out from the rest of the world and, at least in premise, has to learn to love again through this kid that he takes on as an apprentice. But we didn't get to see that in the actual movie. That was, you know, if I was to tell you the elevator pitch of what I think they were trying to do, that would be it. But, yeah, there was no actual bonding or emotion between Doolittle and the kid between Doolittle and the animals between the animals themselves and it didn't feel like he was actually getting over the death of his wife there was no emotion in it
1: yes oh my god yeah okay it, it felt the whole time like there was something missing and i couldn't put my finger on it but i think you just said it there's no emotional resonance in it you're so right with that yeah, they don't really, after the the little bit of animation at the beginning where they say his backstory and also, you know, when he sees his ex-father-in-law, his dead wife's dad, um, Antonio Banderas, there's a little moment between them where they're like, yeah, we both loved her, but she's gone now. But they didn't really go anywhere with it. And I think you're totally right. They could have, like, had it be a more obvious, more prominent theme throughout the whole movie instead of having, like, two throwaway lines about her. like Yeah, especially the item, the
0: MacGuffin that they're after most of the movie is the journal that the wife made to figure out where the second MacGuffin of the, the all-healing plant, fruits, whatever, uh, is. Like, the fact that it's not just a journal. It's not just a map that is gonna show them where the fruit is it's his wife's life work she was the one that did all the research and went on the voyage to try to find this thing and they found the journal and the dad it's like his prized possession that's why they have to steal the journal from him they didn't have a single scene of robert downey jr opening the journal which i feel like would be a big thing to be fair the journal gets stolen from him like immediately but like i feel like he should have had a moment where he opens the journal, sees his wife's handwriting, maybe some drawings that she did, some maps, and he gets to connect with her and see into her mind again, versus it's just a journal that we need to find, and oops, it got stolen, and but we can get there anyway. Like It didn't feel like the journal had any emotion connected to it, even though it's the only thing he has left of his
1: wife. Girl, oh my god. So right, okay, there should have been a scene where he opens a journal, and then it's maybe like a flashback to his wife, and we can hear her voiceover, and she's writing in the journal, and she's on the ship, and and the storm is brewing, she can see it coming towards her in the distance, however storms work, I don't know, I've never been a sailor, (laughs) but, but she knows that a storm is coming, she doesn't think she's gonna make it out alive, we hear her voiceover, she's like, John, I... Don't know if this is ever going to get back to you, but blah, 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 blah. She, she writes a little message for him that's basically like, if I don't make it out, just know that I love you and I want you to move on. And whatever whatever he needs to hear to move on. He's like, Take care of the animals, blah, blah, blah. You know, and just just have that one last little moment where he can get the closure that he needed and finally move on. And And poor everything that he has into, like, taking care of the animals and blah, 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 bonding with the animals because there was no moment like that. You're right. And there should have been another moment between him and Antonio Banderas because they had a moment, but Antonio Banderas was more like, I'm not going to kill you because I love my daughter more. It's not... They didn't really... I don't know how to... They weren't really talking to each other. You know, there should have been a moment where he was like you know, I was wrong about you for some reason. I know you took care of her as best you can. It wasn't your fault. Because literally, I don't know how it would be. Um, (laughs) Like, what's he going to do? Go on the ship with her and, like, prevent the storm from happening? They should have had a moment where he's like, it's not your fault. I know you did the best you could. I know that uh, it hurts you too. And we have this bond now, you and I. And you can come back anytime. Because I'm, like, kind of your dad-in-law still. But he was actually, like you know what, I'm not going to kill you, but don't ever come back here. Yeah, completely agree. And I
0: love the point that you made of like, uh, like a final message from her, like directly to him that he never got to see before. That would be so good. Also, just thought in the beginning, his whole reason, right, for going on this journey in the first place is to keep his house, which is an entirely selfish Reason, Which makes sense for him at the beginning, I guess, his reasons... I feel like his reasons should have changed halfway through. When he figured out that it was his wife's journal that he had to go after, it should have been clear that, yeah, he he may have come to Buckingham Palace and heard out, you know, what he needed to do, his instructions or whatever, for the initial reason of, I want to keep my house. But once he figured out that he needed to get the antidote from his wife's journal... That should have clicked for him, the change of I'm going on the same journey that my wife took where she died and I'm going to get to go see her journal. And his motivation should have shifted to be less of a selfish one and more of like a, a mental journey for him to get over. You know what I mean? But we never really got that. Still at the end, the climax is he gets to keep his house and you're like, hey, okay,
1: sure <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's that's so good. I think they tried to do that, or I think that they thought they did that by having RDJ, like, every 15 minutes, like, kiss his little ring or (laughs) something, (laughs) his wife's ring. But, like, first of all, this is a kid's movie. You got to make things more obvious. Second of all, it's a poorly written movie. You got to make things more obvious. They just had to, like, make it more obvious in general. Like, we as adults could probably tell every time he kissed his wife's ring— Oh, he's thinking of his wife and he is going on this perilous journey that his wife had gone on and died on. But number one, kids aren't going to pick up on that. They're probably, if they're watching this and enjoying this, probably the age where they're not... Very heavily media literate yet, or literate in general yet, so <laughs> so you're gonna need to spell things out for them. But also, when you're juggling so many plots and storylines and characters like this movie does, you still gotta spell it out for us a little bit more. Yeah, I think that would have been so good to have that like emotion, like you were saying. Yes,
0: it because it fell flat on the emotion, and you'd think, okay, well, I guess. You know, if it falls flat on the emotion, at least it can, you know, it's got the it's got the writing, it's got the plot. Yeah, well, you'd be wrong. <laughs> the writing, as we talked about, was not good, <laughs> but also the plot is not good. Like we've, you know, gone over an entire breakdown of what happens. But I okay, I saw a YouTube video from Amanda the Jedi, who is a film reviewer on YouTube, and she compared this movie to the new Star Wars films. Where it feels it's like it's trying to be an adventure movie, but it's more like they're jumping from location to location without much of a reason to go to each location and without staying there and actually like doing anything at each location. They're just kind of jumping around without much actual plot or anything actually happening. And man, that resonated with me. That is so true. They kind of, you know, start off at the house and they're like, we need to go to Buckingham Palace and then oh, we need to leave Buckingham Palace. We gotta go on a boat, and oh, we gotta go to this palace, and oh, we gotta go to this other place and then back to Bell. It's just kind of you they don't spend much time in any one location, and there's like barely a reason to go to each location. It felt like nothing happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it was just like I don't know. If if you had to ask me to describe the plot of this movie like the things that actually happened in this movie i would have no idea what to tell you like i don't know he like went on a boat and then he went like to stick his hand up a dragon's ass like i like like i don't know there was (laughs) there was no significance to most of the events that were happening and i think they could have dedicated that time instead to like the emotional connections and like the bond between the characters yeah it was just not All around, just, like, not good. Yeah. And
0: I have one more big point that I want to bring up before we uh, move on to reviews. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say, but this movie, I feel like, could have been, like, a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, right? It seems kind of like that. Oh, you got to go find the antidote for this thing and travel across the ocean and save someone's life. It just, it didn't feel... Like, there was any reason for this to be a do-little movie, specifically? Because anything that the animals did in this movie, a human could do. Like, there was no reason why any of the characters had to be animals rather than humans.
1: Am I the only one that felt that? Dude, that was one of my two last points, too. Yeah, okay, the thing is, the things that did happen were done entirely by humans. Like, they had to do a little heist to get into rasuli's palace right they had to sneak in past the whatever but the only people who went to do that heist were doolittle and the stupid little boy and i guess a dragonfly but like not really like what why did you bring this whole ship of animals if none of them are going to come in with you like they could have brought like a snake to slither in through the bars of the thing and get the journal. They could have brought... There's so many options. Like, you could have literally any animal, dude. You could have, like, any... They have a fucking giraffe. By the way, the giraffe don't know where she was the whole movie. And she shows up at Buckingham Palace at the end. I was like, were you there the whole movie? And I still don't know. <laughs> because That's I don't your, know what... That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, and there was, like, a fox, too. And I was like, where the fuck were you two? But, um, yeah... All they did with the animals were, like, leave them places. Like, the dog left with the with the queen. When they were sneaking into the palace, all the animals left on the ship. Like, they didn't take them anywhere. They didn't do anything with them. Yeah, I love... Could have had, like, ugh, this stupid heist.
0: <laughs> that wasn't even really a heist at the uh, Antonio Banderas' palace. Stupid kid went to go get the journal. And then they brought this random dragonfly along. And you know what the dragonfly did? Crack jokes. Well, the kid stole the journal. Instead of it could have been like, oh, it's hidden in this room with no doors. And the only way in is a tiny little air vent. So you got to send in ants and dragonflies and stuff uh, because no human can actually get in there. Love. Yeah, a snake can slither in places. They could have used the giraffe to lift them up to high locations because they do have to, uh, you know, to get into the palace. Robert Johnny Jr. has to get up into this high tower. And instead of using a giraffe, he decides I'm just going to climb human style. Am I going to get monkeys to climb? <laughs> nope, just me. Robert Downey Jr., the human.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has, like, two monkeys on board. He literally has two monkeys on board. I don't know if the giraffe was there, but he does have two monkeys that could have easily, like, climbed. And they're, like, little monkeys. They're, like, the kind of monkey that Ross had in France. They could easily c- could have climbed in there. Okay, yeah, you're totally right. The- this had no purpose being a Doolittle movie. He does. He's not even the only person that can talk to animals, like in the Eddie Murphy version. He's just a person who happens to be able to talk to animals. So yeah, and my last point was, I was going to say, uh, I hate saying this, because you know I love RDJ, but I don't know how I feel about him being cast as Doolittle in this movie. And and first, let me explain why I think they cast him, because there are a lot of good reasons to cast him. He has a lot of elements that are very good, that should be very good in this movie. He's very funny. He's very charming. He has plenty of experience working around CGI, like working alone on a soundstage with green screen people around him. He produced this movie. I think that last one is why he was cast in this movie. But I don't know if he was the right fit or not. Because I I don't know. Okay, here's, here's the thing. Maybe it's because he didn't have other human actors to bounce off of. And the one little boy human actor that he did have around to bounce off of, he didn't really have chemistry with. Or maybe it was because of his choice of accent. Or maybe it was the script and all of the messy kind of things that were going on behind the scenes. Whatever it was, I love him. I don't know, though, if he was the right choice for this movie. I agree. And I just thought of the, well, I was going to say the perfect alternative, except for
0: the one minor fact that he is, in fact, dead (laughs) currently. um, (laughs) (laughs) If this movie had been made like 20 years ago, you know who would have been so good in this role? Because they basically played the same role in the original Jumanji. What's his fucking name? Robin Robin Williams. Williams.
1: Robin Williams
0: would have nailed this role. The same sort of, like, lost jungle man that doesn't trust anyone but has to learn to love these kids.
1: He would have done so well. I was on a similar wavelength as you. Because as soon as you said Jumanji, I was like, Jack Black would have fucking killed this movie. Jack Black, Robin Williams, take your pick. Either of them would have been so good. They both are very funny. Both of them work with these, like, ridiculous premises that they sell, like, very well. And so does RDJ. It's hard to sell that you're, like, a superhero that flies around in a suit of metal armor. But, like, I don't know. I don't know. The way that they commit so well to the roles. And RDJ does, too. But this role, I feel like, you know, talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, there's that whole thing where Johnny Depp came came uh, to, the, to the set one day he had his little eyeliner on they were like Johnny Depp I don't know if the eyeliner is a good choice he's like trust me and they trusted him and it worked Robert Downey Jr came to the set he had his little Welsh accent they were like I don't know he's like trust me and they trusted him and it didn't work I feel like Robin Williams or Jack Black would have made slightly different choices that would have paid off so much more Absolutely. And I okay,
0: when I say mm, that Jack Black would have maybe committed more to this role, I don't mean that RDJ doesn't commit to his roles because he has done fantastic work as Iron Man and uh, Sherlock Holmes and all his, you know, iconic other roles. But I feel like the tone of this movie was kind of split between trying to be serious and trying to be funny. Where all the animals kept making poop jokes and fart jokes and um like rimming jokes, which was weird um, <laughs> <laughs> with the dragon. But RDJ was playing it more like a serious, you know, good <laughs> actor that he is. Whereas I feel like someone like Jack Black, perfect example of a guy that would have done this uh, role well. He's just he has more experience working with kids movies and playing things off to be funnier and goofier and he doesn't take his roles too seriously. And I mean that in the best way. I feel like he would have taken the role I think to the extent that it needed to be taken rather than as a serious role if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. Cuz the thing about Jack Black is when he he has this kind of Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm in on it. I also think this is kind of ridiculous, but I'm, I'm. It feels like he's in on it. And with Robert Downey Jr., it didn't really feel like he was in on it if if that makes any sense i don't know how to describe it when jack black makes movies he commits so fully to the movies no matter how ridiculous they are but he also has this element of i know they're ridiculous and i'm enjoying this and i hope you're enjoying this too but you're right robert danny jr doesn't have that same like kind of wink wink i'm in on the joke with you thing where he's like and I, I, I know that he is, but it doesn't seem like it where he's not like, I also know that this is ridiculous. But, you know, hang with me for a second because it's going to pay off the same way that Jack Black does. I don't know if that made any sense, but I, I agree with what you were saying before.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Jack Black always, he, he gets this script. He knows what he's getting into and he knows how to play it off the right way. Uh, yeah, that, he would have made a great role replacement in this movie I was just thinking right (laughs) this has nothing to do with Jack Black but while we were talking about Doolittle I do have a question about him so just because this movie sets it up we've mentioned that his kind of superpower in this movie is different than the Eddie Murphy version where he can just sort of instantly learn languages I guess rather than it being innate in him If he can, you know, just sort of intuitively pick up um, all animal languages and whatever. Does that that mean he can
1: talk to, like, aliens (laughs) per se? Hang on. Wait a second. I never considered this. The question that I thought you were going to say is, oh, could he, like, pick up on Spanish or something if he's heard it for the first time? But... He didn't really know for sure that dragons existed, but yet he could talk to the dragon perfectly. Because this could have been a very different
0: movie. You, you know how in um Arrival <laughs> or something like where they need to figure out a way to communicate with the aliens and they're like trying to use sound waves or signs and stuff. But do you think Dr. Doolittle could have busted down the door <laughs> like, move over, noobs? I am the... <laughs> uh a communication captain here i got this and he's like bleep bloop floor and he can communicate <laughs> with the aliens and he's got it in the jar
1: oh my god you know what they could have just done that because they were like trying so hard to make like, do a little original again they could have just like brought in aliens Flip flop, <laughs> flip flop. You know, like yeah, flip the script, man. We've we've
0: seen fantasy, we've seen comedy on Doolittle. What about a sci-fi Doolittle where he's got to save the planet from aliens because he's the only one who has to uh, who's able to communicate with them?
1: High stakes, Doolittle. Not only is the queen in danger, all of the whole world is in danger. The whole planet has been secretly
0: poisoned by this alien plague and he's the only one that can negotiate with them.
1: Oh my god. Oh or they they see like this alien planet that's kind of hurtling towards earth, but not like super fast. And they send him out in a rocket ship and as he's going through this is so fucking stupid as he's going through space to meet the planet um the planet is being controlled by the aliens and it can stop whenever it wants to but it doesn't want to it wants to destroy the humans so as he's going in his little rocket ship up to the alien planet which is like you know taking a couple of days not like super urgent or anything he comes across different alien species along the way and instead of having an animal crew like in this movie he has a fucking alien crew
0: Oh my god, of like different speed. This is amazing. Also, are you talking about like, (laughs) like Guardians of the Galaxy, Ego the Living Planet type? (laughs) Just just stop moving whenever you
1: want. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, I realized a little too late. I just invented Guardians of the Galaxy again. They're kind of a ragtag group of alien species that can all talk to each other. That's too bad. Um, We really like had something is, going there.
0: Well, here's we, this is Guardians of the Galaxy where no one can talk to each other except for Robert Downey Jr.
1: slash Jack Black. Maybe they're a duo. Ooh, Robert Downey Jr., Jack Black team up. They're twins. They're brothers. One has the ability to talk to animals and one has the ability to do what? (laughs) They gotta have some, like, two powers here. Oh my god, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. One has the ability to talk to animals, the other has the ability to turn into animals Beast Boy style, but the (gasps) one that that can turn into animals can't talk to other animals, so he needs his brother to, like, help him communicate.
0: Oh my god. Ventriloquist brothers? (laughs) Oh my god, imagine it. (laughs) We've got RDJ with his little not Welsh accent because we're changing that in our version to literally anything else. (laughs) He's hiding in the bushes, right? Ready to start talking parrots because his brother, Jack Black, has just turned into a parrot to talk to the alien parrot species and they have to negotiate to save the planet. But Jack Black can't actually speak alien parrots. Only RDJ can, who's hiding in the bushes ready to uh uh uh, mouth along no (laughs) jack black is mouthing along to what rdj is actually saying in hiding
1: oh my god this is so fucking good i think we also i think we also may have reinvented some some kind of shakespeare drama i think i feel like there's a movie (gasps) i i or a play or a book or something i forgot what it's called but there was a movie version and steve martin was in it and i forgot what it's called um oh it's like uh, s- s- cyrus or like C- Sirius or s- something like that whatever um so it's this dude who i'm i never seen it i'm this is me guessing completely about what it's about so i think there's this dude steve martin and he feels like he's like the ugliest dude ever on the planet and he's in love with this girl and he's talked to the girl before, but she doesn't know what he looks like. So he hires his hot friend to, like, stand in as him. Well, he's literally hiding in the bushes talking to her. And the friend is, like, mouthing along or something. Oh, my God. There's also that fucking Netflix teen movie. Yep, something yep, Sierra-, Sierra Burgess. Oh, that's the one. We're just reinventing a whole lot of movies. But yeah, I would love the sci-fi version with Jack Black and Robert Downey Jr. Now, this is the decision that we have to come to. Who is the one that can talk to animals and who is the one that turns into animals? And I do have an answer in mind already. Okay, I do as well. I think we're on the same wavelength, right? I think,
0: and you tell me if this is what you're thinking, that uh, Jack Black would do better
1: with voices. Oh oh I was thinking I was thinking the opposite. I was like Jack Black would do better turning into animals because okay. as as we said, I feel like he would commit more to like just like being a fucking crocodile or some or whatever the alien version of that is. I feel like he would commit and then Robert Downey Jr. could play however he wanted the the translation process. But I mean it could go either way it could go either way. We could
0: switch halfway through the movie and just goof the audience.
1: (laughs) They're like, hang on. This is more confusing than Doolittle. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) This is a better
0: movie than Doolittle, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think, though, that we've kind of covered all of our our thoughts about Doolittle. We've even made our own movie um, in place of Doolittle. I think now it's time to see what the internet thinks about this movie. So we have four reviews today from
0: imdb the first is by user frankie thousand who gave it a four out of ten and their tagline is started poorly and just kept going what a waste of a talented cast and 175 million dollars you could have taught a bear to speak for real for less money (laughs) (laughs)
1: let the roasts begin Oh,
0: open the floodgates. The second is by user Kalybsi, who gave it a 2 out of 10. And their tagline is, skip it. Doolittle boasts an all-time great, predominantly voice cast, but wastes its talent on an all-time abhorrent script. It will likely do enough to keep your kids entertained, but the lazy jokes and awkward performances will prove a chore to sit through for the rest of us. Damn, that is uh, very accurate. (laughs) The third is by user fangirl333, who, surprisingly, their tagline is Great Family Movie. Okay, let's see where this is going. I don't understand the hate this movie gets. It's a film aimed at children, and children tend to like this kind of movies. It's silly and fun and adventurous and new. I don't get why people always get upset because a remake isn't like the original classic one. Why should it be? Who would like to watch a movie remade the same time over and over again? And it seems like all the bad reviews are made by adults who try to rate children's movies. Isn't that crazy? Well, yes, that's one take on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't agree, <laughs> the, but... The reason I included that review was to point out that I feel like we're not being hard on it as a kids movie. We're just being hard on it as a movie because I, I did watch Doolittle, the Eddie Murphy version and I loved it and it was for kids. This one just didn't hold up for anyone, really. I feel like a lot of the reviews said that if you have kids, you know, younger than eight or whatever, they'll probably enjoy this movie. I trust them because I don't know any kids under eight. So mm-hmm. they, they're they probably right about that. But for, like, just in general, not a great movie either way. No. Also, kids aren't
0: stupid, <laughs> you know? Like, as a kid, I would still watch stuff and be like, this is bad. <laughs> like... I don't know. There's you, there's a reason why Disney is kind of the, the monopoly, the conglomerate of all kids' movies now. Because uh, they make, frankly, good movies. And you can make good movies with emotional, you know, subplots and character development. It doesn't have to be just filler bad poop jokes. It can also be a good movie and <laughs> ended kids. But... <laughs> the last review is by user Krunal Patel 11127 who... Give it a 1 out of 10, the lowest review so far. Their tagline is, why, why, why Downey selected this horrible script? Let's say the first thing. This movie is so boring. <laughs> I just don't understand why Downey selected this garbage script to do other actor. I guess they wanted to see a symbol of A-list actors with different visual effects and check if that worked or not well. You don't have a good script. This A-list... Won't e lists won't work. <laughs> he started talking like Siri for a little bit. I think I started talking like uh, Robert Downey Jr. trying to talk to aliens. That's what <laughs> it sounds like. This is an alien language that he has to decode. <laughs> okay, let's try to decode this. What I think it's saying is, let's first say that this movie is so boring. I just don't understand why Downey... Selected this garbage script. Something about other actors also decided to pick it up, and they're all A list actors. There were visual effects, which I guess they liked, but they didn't check whether it will work or not. If you have a good script, it doesn't matter if there are A lists because it won't work. Something along those lines. <laughs> you,
1: you, we, um... you gotta say the last line of this, this review because it's my favorite line in any <laughs> review. <laughs> I mean, this whole
0: review makes basically no sense. There's no punctuation and everything is spelled wrong. So that was the the gist of it. And then the last line we have here is the one sentence that actually has proper punctuation and makes sense. And it says, I have to take some headache medicine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Same. I included this whole incomprehensible review for that last sentence because... I feel like that describes most of the movies on this podcast that we don't like. I have to take some <laughs> medicine. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, we also have, I think, five letterboxed reviews for today. And the first one is by Sean Fennessy, who gave it half a star out of five. And Sean says, do less. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Kind of in a similar vein, our our second review is by Vinnie Simpson, who gave it one star out of five. And Vin, Vinnie says, don't little.
0: <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I love it.
1: Our third review for today is by Ellie Little Sparkle Emoji. And Ellie gave it one and a half stars. Shane Black, come collect your man. He needs you. Um... Shane Black is the director of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 and I think honestly he would have made this work I think Shane Black would have made this work he would have made it into a Christmas movie there would have been a better mystery he would have gotten out Robert Downey Jr's best comedic performance I feel like Ellie is on to something here
0: totally agree
1: the fourth review is by Sean Coe, who didn't give it a star rating. But Sean says, sometimes you have to willingly watch a movie that you know is going to be horrible so you can further appreciate all of the other incredible movies that you have seen. Doolittle is one of those movies.
0: Um, that's honestly kind <laughs> of some good
1: advice. <laughs> I think that's kind of what we do with this podcast is we learn to appreciate other movies. Um, And the last review from Letterboxd is by Max Turner, who gave it half a star. I'd say this offended me as a Welshman, but it just offended me as a human being in general. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Those are all of our IMDb and Letterboxd reviews. And just for reference, IMDb gave this a 5.6 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 14%. So... What are we thinking? Yikes.
0: Well, I mean, if you're new here, we rate all the movies that we watch on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being, God, so bad I could barely finish it. I am gonna give it, I think, like a 2. It was like a bad movie, not in like a fun way or a funny way. It was just like badly written and badly done
1: and bad movie. That's all I have to say. (laughs) You know what? That's probably the most accurate review. Yeah. Um. Okay. The thing about me is that I feel like most, not all, but most RDJ movies I see come into my life at exactly the moment in my life that I needed them to. This movie... I feel like I could have easily gone my whole life, never having watched it, and my life would have been totally fine. I would have been A-OK. <laughs> In fact, I think I may have been a little bit better, were that to be the case. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go three, I, I don't know, maybe a 2.5. Um, that 2.5 is for RDJ who did his best, and for, <laughs> like, the the cast for some reason who were all in this movie like they were they're great actors and actresses and they're all in this movie anyways the 2.5 is for them and them only because wow i mean you watch the trailer you look at the poster you think this is gonna be a fun movie that we can uh have fun with on our fun season and it's pretty disappointing when you mentioned that all the movies with
0: RDJ in them come to you at the perfect time, I did initially think that you were going to go somewhat higher with that review. I thought you were going to include that on this list. Just be like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I watched <laughs> I watched uh, Iron Man when I needed like a hero in my life. And this movie came to me when I just like, I really needed some anal probing. <laughs>
1: i mean it's never too late but i didn't need this movie to tell me that i knew that in my heart already so i don't i didn't didn't need this movie to to say that to me so if any of you guys have seen doolittle and you have thoughts on this movie because i bet you have plenty of thoughts on it if you have or if you have other ideas for fun movies we can do during our fun season Uh, You can email us at badmoviesundaypodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter or Letterboxd. We're at BMS Podcast. And before we go, I just gotta thank Kevin McLeod for providing our theme song music. The song is Riptide, and you can find it on his website, incompetech.filmmusic.io. We have been Bad Movie Sunday. I am...
0: That's (laughs) that's dolphin for ashley
1: and i'm caw caw that's raven for amy wow that was
0: really good yes. <laughs> and we will see you next next week also known as is <laughs> that a better lion
1: <laughs> than the beginning